this is Leah, and welcome to this week's Hashtag for Paris podcast. It is wonderful that you could join us for this week's teaching. I'll explain a little bit more about who we are at the end, but for now, let's jump right in. So let me ask you a question. Uh, as we get rolling this week, it's maybe a question that you want to think about after the message or something you want to talk about with people that you may be gathering with or just even throw it up to someone else that, that you know. Here's a question. Here's a question. If you were to get a tattoo or if you were to get another tattoo, what, what image would you get? Like, what would you be willing to put on your body for the rest of your life? You're probably thinking, what, what, what is the deal? Like, what, what is that all about? My thought is this. When you think about something that is that permanent, when you put something on your body, it's going to have significance to you. We know just the power of symbol. We, we, we know the power of image. And that when you put things on your body, you don't do it without thought. You don't just kind of say on a whim, hey, let's do this or let's do that. Or if you do, there's probably a pretty significant amount of regret. As I think about tattoos, and this is purely anecdotal, just from what I've seen on other people and in chatting with others, I would say one of the most common images that people put on their body is the image of the cross. Which is interesting. When you think of the cross in terms of what it means and what it represents, a symbol of death in many ways, why do we do it? To push a little bit further, when you think about Christianity, you see how the cross has become the symbol, some of the, one of the key things for what it is that we believe. You, you walk into churches and you see crosses at the front of the church. And so today, today I want to have the conversation around not only why the cross and what the cross represents in terms of Jesus' death, but push a little bit further and ask the question, why did Jesus have to die? I mean, I mean, what, was there any other options? Was there a different possibility? Like, like, why the cross? Why the death of Jesus? If you've been with us for the last little while or just joining us, we have been working through the Gospel of Mark, looking at the person of Jesus, asking the question of, of who is he? What has he done? And then ultimately, what is our response? Uh, next week, as we wrap up Easter, we're going to be finishing this series, which is going to bring us to April 16th, which is oftentimes one of my um, interest, most interesting met sermons. It's, it's a chance where we do Q&A. And so if you show up in person at our church on April 16th, we're going to just field live Q&A. It could be about the series. It could be about other questions uh, that, that people have. For those of you watching online, obviously it's a little hard to take live Q&A this way. And so what I'm asking you to do is if you have a question, you have something that maybe you've been wondering about through this series or something else that is related to faith and God, um, send me an email. And I would love to take an opportunity to respond. And here's my promise to you. Um, no matter whether or not I deal with it in the recorded version of this message or not, I will respond to you personally. Now, whether it's through an email, whether it's hooking up a Zoom call, whether it's calling you on the phone, whatever it may be. Because I believe that one of the great ways that we begin to deepen our faith and explore our faith is through questions, through, through, through asking things that, that we don't necessarily understand. So that's in a couple weeks. So this week, though, why the cross? Why did Jesus have to die? We're going to turn to an encounter that Jesus has, um, a significant moment 
that, that begins to help, I believe, understand not only the posture of Jesus, but, but just the necessity of the cross. But to kind of set it up a little bit, if you're watching this on Sunday or around Easter, this coming Sunday is Palm Sunday, uh, the day that really begins Holy Week, Easter Week, the, the day when Jesus entered into Jerusalem with his disciples with incredible fanfare. Uh, huge celebrations, just just people were lining the streets, they were hailing him as the king, shouting Hosanna. People were laying down their clothes and, and palm branches upon the road as, as Jesus and his disciples entered in. Yet if you're familiar with the story, you realize that in a matter of days, shouts of celebration became hurling screams of crucify him. The crowd completely turned. And that's significant. And so it's in this moment that on the night when he is about to be arrested, Jesus then goes off into the garden. And if you're, you're with us last week, we, we talked a lot about the posture of Jesus, that, that, that Jesus acted in a way that, that in many ways was kind of outside what you typically expect from him. He was pleading with the Father that if there's any way for him not to go to the cross, to please make it possible. And it's here that we want to pick up. As, as, as Judas, his betrayer, shows up with armed men sent by the religious leaders because they are wanting to condemn Jesus to death. They essentially put him on trial. And so that's what I want to read here today and, and help us understand the situation, the scenario, historically, what it meant then and then what it means for us here today. Always circling back to this incredibly, incredibly important question of why did Jesus have to die? And so we're going to turn to Mark chapter uh, 14, beginning with verse 53. And this is what we read. It says, They took Jesus to the high priest's home, where the leading priests, the elders, and the teachers of religious law had gathered. Meanwhile, Peter followed him at a distance and went right into the high priest's courtyard. There he sat with the guards, warming himself by the fire. Inside the leading priests and the entire high council were trying to find evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death. But they couldn't find any. Many false witnesses spoke against him, but they contradicted each other. Finally, some men stood up and gave this false testimony. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands. And in three days, I will build another made without human hands. But even they didn't get their stories straight. Then the high priest stood up before the others and asked Jesus, well, aren't you going to answer these charges? What do you have to say for yourself? But Jesus was silent and made no reply. Then the high priest asked him, are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated in his place of power at God's right hand and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothing to show his horror and said, Why do we need other witnesses? You've heard all his blasphemy. What is your verdict? Guilty, they cried. He deserves to die. Then some of them began to spit at him. And they blindfolded him. They beat him with their fists. Prophesy to us, they jeered. And the guards slapped him as they took him away. It's here, it's a key moment. As Jesus was now entering down the path to be crucified upon the cross. 
couple just just a couple of key key thoughts as we as we start to work through this passage and, and try to help us understand it's significant to know that as we've talked about in the past that that what we read in the gospel of mark is essentially the the teaching the preaching of peter that's why peter was always involved in in in, in what mark records and so and so peter is there keeping himself at a distance in the courtyard and and i often wonder what what must have been going through peter's mind because this this supposed trial was a total joke. They, 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 they simply made up in their mind that they wanted to put Jesus to death, but they couldn't find any evidence. There, there was nothing they could come and say, this is the reason, this is why he must die by Roman law. There was no evidence. People were lying. I mean, we're told that they were giving false testimony. Like, like talk about amateur hour. Like, if, if you're trying to set someone up, like at least kind of corroborate your stories, at least kind of make sure that you're telling the same lie. Because when you hear one person say one thing and someone else contradicts another, even if you have no vested interest, you're like, this, this is ridiculous. This can't go on. And, and Peter must have been sitting there, and, and clearly, as we know later on, he's not wanting to associate himself so much to Jesus. But I wonder if Peter was like screaming inside, like, like Jesus, Jesus, why are you remaining silent? Because Jesus said nothing. Totally quiet. It must have been remarkable to be an outlooker looking in and, and, and just, just seeing how people were condemning him, making false accusations, were blatantly lying, and yet Jesus remained silent. And then Jesus is asked the question by the high priest, the one who could have shut it down completely. And he asked him a leading question. He said, are you the Messiah? I, I could be reading into it, but I almost think that this would be the moment that Jesus leans in. I mean, remember, just go back a few hours. Jesus was in the garden pleading with the Father that if there's any other way, if, if this cup could be taken from him, then please make it possible. This was the moment where Jesus decided <laughs> he, he didn't want to honor the Father's wishes. He didn't want to go to the cross. Now would be the moment that he should have been silent. If, if, if he wouldn't have responded to the high priest's question of, are you the Messiah? They, they would again have no evidence, but it's in this moment that Jesus says, I am. And that set it all in motion. The place goes berserk. The, the, the high priest tears his clothing. The, 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 the people begin shouting. They condemn him to death. They, they begin spitting on him and punching him and just, and just completely mocking him. They had made it up in their own minds that Jesus had to die. Yet if you're familiar with the story, if you just keep reading, you, you realize that Jesus didn't, then didn't go immediately to the cross. You see, the religious leaders did not have the power or the authority to con condemn anyone to death. They, they were occupied by the Romans. And so they then had to parade Jesus in front of Pilate, the Roman authority who had the ability that regardless of what the Jewish people thought or believed about this man, he was the one who could have set him free. And you start to see in the dialogue between Pilate and Jesus that, that the Pilate, an outlooker looking in, realized that... that that he saw what was going on. He, he knew that this, this man, Jesus, had not committed the offenses that, that he did. He, he realized that it was out of petty jealousy. And so Pilate, too, could have let him go. But again, but again, 
Jesus remained silent. I mean, there would have been this period of time that if, if ever Jesus began to think, I have second thoughts, like, yes, I admitted it to the high priest, but, but now I can kind of recant, I can go back. Now was the opportunity, yet Jesus remained silent. He chose to willingly go to the cross. Jesus had the power to end it right there, and he laid down his power. He laid down his authority. He chose to die. For my benefit and for yours. At times I get asked this question of, like, why is the cross so necessary? That, that isn't it enough for me to recognize my sin, to, 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 to be sorry for what I've done and, and, to, and to apologize to God? Like, like, like can't God just simply forgive? Like, like, like why is it necessary for Jesus to have died. Like I recognize the brokenness of my life. I, I recognize the brokenness of this world. I, I recognize that I don't have a great relationship with God, but, but why did Jesus have to die? Because it ultimately comes down to this. There is a cost because of our sin that we can't pay. Let me explain it this way. It's, it, hopefully it's a helpful image and, and ultimately um, any, any image kind of breaks down ultimately. But, but when I was nine years old, we were living in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. And I love to play baseball, love to play catch. And I would do it everywhere and anywhere. And my dad repeatedly told me, listen, Joel, 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 when you're playing catch with your friends, don't do it on the front lawn. Don't do it in front of the, where the cars are parked. Go to the backyard. Go to the park. Go to the baseball diamond. Don't do it on the front lawn. As you can imagine, as a nine-year-old, I didn't always listen to what my dad had asked of us. And one particular sunny afternoon, I remember it quite vividly, my friend and I were playing catch on the front lawn. And wouldn't you know it, by happen chance, there was a car parked in the driveway. And wouldn't you know it, my friend didn't happen to catch one of the throws I put perfectly towards his glove. Wouldn't you know it, not only did he not catch the ball, not only did the ball not hit him, it sailed past his shoulder and shattered the passenger side window of the car. Oh man, I knew I was sunk. I was sorry. I was so sorry. I, I apologized profusely. I, I, I couldn't believe what had happened. My dad came out having told me, having warned me, having reminded me of what I shouldn't have done, was annoyed, was frustrated, but he forgave me. And so there's the two components, right? I was sorry, and my father forgave me, and so can't God just do that? Here's the problem. The window was still broken. The window needed to be repaired. And so who's going to bear the cost? As a nine-year-old who counted money in the equivalency of like nickels and dimes, clearly I didn't have the money to do it. So you know who paid? My dad paid. Even though it wasn't his fault, even though he warned me numerous times, even though he recognized that I was incredibly sorry for what I had done, even though he had forgiven me, he still had to pay. He had to pay the price because I 
couldn't. He had to bear the cost for me. That is so minor in comparison to the reality of our lives, the sin and the brokenness for us. That absolutely, we can, we can feel sorry for, for, for the things we do that we know we shouldn't do. We can feel sorry for the things we know we should do, yet we fail to do it. That, that, that we can plead and we can, we can bring this to God, but ultimately, and ultimately, for us to be healed, for us to be restored, we needed Jesus to pay the price. On the cross, he, he essentially bore the weight of the brokenness of this world, the brokenness of me, the brokenness of you, so that we could be restored, that our sins could be forgiven, that, that we could live with a greater sense of hope, that death does not have the final end. That's why when we think of Jesus, he's more than just a great teacher. He, he is more than just a moral example. He is the one that chose the path of the cross as a demonstration of God's ultimate love of paying the price for you and for me so that the brokenness of our relationship with God could ultimately be restored. Jesus was silent. He laid down his power for our benefit. So as a church, we talk about leading people, appointing people, inviting people to Jesus. Not, not just simply because he is a great teacher, not just because he's a great example, but because he is the one who brings ultimate transformation. He is the one that out of his love, his, his, the greatness of his love, has ultimately laid down his life for you and for me. It's in this encounter that we see not only who Jesus is, the Messiah, what Jesus has done, his, his willingness to go to the cross for us, that lands us at the final place. What is your response? You see, are we willing to make it personal? Are, are, are we willing to allow the cross to become more than just a symbol, to be more than just something that we understand and know about and truly make it our own? That's why through this series, we've been talking about this incredible invitation that Jesus gives to us, this invitation to follow him. But what does that mean? What, what does that look like? Let me suggest two things here today. It's a lot more, but these two things definitely need to be present. The first one is to follow Jesus. You have to recognize your need for him. You have to recognize the importance of the cross, that, that there was absolutely no other way, that in order for us to be forgiven, in order for our relationship to be restored, in order for us to truly live this abundant life, we need Jesus. Not just, not just simply as someone we can soundbite or when we want to, you know, some, some good advice, yeah, we, can, we can leaf through the Bible a little bit or we're dealing with a certain problem, but we recognize our need for him in all of life. That's why we talk about baptism. Baptism is this, is this public celebration of saying, Jesus, I need you in my life. Maybe for some of you watching today, you've, you've never even taken that step. But you want Jesus to be a part of your life. I would love to connect with you. 
send, send me an email. We can, we, we can talk. We can connect. We, we, can, we can see what this begins to mean for you. The second thing is when we choose to follow Jesus, we recognize that we don't only need him, but that our lives now become a response to him. You see, you see, this is what separates Christianity from, from almost every other faith, every other belief system, is that we don't live in a certain way in order to impress God, in order to earn his love. Rather, we recognize his love for us, and as a result, we then live in response to his love. And so what does that look like? Well, think of what Jesus did. He chose the path of love that was not based upon emotion, was not based upon conditions, but was unconditional. It was a choice he made. What about you? Are you choosing to love in the way that Jesus has loved you? That's, that's one of the ways that we begin to realize that the reality of Jesus is truly gripping our lives, is that when we choose, in the same way that Jesus chose silence, in the same way that Jesus chose to go to the cross, will we choose, in some cases, to, to lay down our power, to lay down our authority, in order to love for the benefit of others? This is truly the amazing thing about Jesus, is that the, the love that he has shown and the love that, 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 that he requires of us is unlike the love of this world. It's not a love that simply is about our benefit but chooses to love for the benefit of others. So what about you? What about you? How can you respond to Jesus today? Maybe for some, it's simply in recognizing your need. For others, if you've come to that place, maybe it's a recognition that we need to begin to love as Jesus is loved. Whatever it may be, look for opportunities this week to step out in faith, to follow Jesus, to love as he has so graciously loved you and me. Let me pray. So Lord God, as we again reflect upon this time of Easter, may it not simply be a season, but, but may it become a true reality for us. May we first of all just recognize Jesus, your great love for us. And I pray specifically for those that are watching that, that maybe today is the day that they, they take that step and, and realize, Jesus, I need you in my life. I, I, I recognize my sin. I recognize my brokenness. I, I need you. Lord Jesus, you promised to bring a sense of peace and assurance, and I just pray that for those that are in this place. I pray for others that, Jesus, for those of us that, that have chosen to follow you, yet so often we fail to love as you have loved. We, we fail to bear the cost for the benefit of others. And, and I know this can look so differently in so many different lives, but may we have the courage and the humility to step out in love for the benefit of others. For we ask this all Jesus in your name. Amen. And so today, may the blessing and love of God the Father Almighty, may the grace and the mercy our Lord Jesus Christ, and may the peace and the strength of the Holy Spirit be with you today, today, and in all your tomorrows. Amen.
our podcast today. We hope that you were encouraged by what you just heard. Just so you know a little bit more about who we are, hashtag for Paris, our church is about creating a culture that shows people that we are for them and for our local community. Jesus invites us to experience a meaningful life with him and others. So we meet every Sunday morning in person at the Paris Presbyterian Church at 10.30 a.m. and throughout the week in various home groups and pubs here in Paris. It is here that we experience authentic relationships and we grow deep in our faith journeys together. If you would like to connect with us further, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. And it is here that you can find links to any of our other audio and video podcasts, sermons, and you can track with what's happening with us each month. Please go straight to our website for more information now about our home groups and how you can get involved. Our website is parispresb.ca. Yes, that's right, parispresb, P-R-E-S-B dot C-A. And it's there that you can share our links with your friends, family, and neighbors. Uh, We have friends from around the world who connect in with us online on a regular basis. And so lastly, please feel free to email me and get connected directly. I would love to chat with you. My email is leah at parispres.ca, and I'll get right back to you. So that's all we have for now. Thanks again for joining, and we'll see you again next week. Bye for now, everyone.